Hi, what's good, y'all? It's your host, Master Ceremonies. It's me, Tommy, back for another episode of One on One. Uh, and I want to introduce for the first time as a co-host, Jen. What's up, Jen? Hi. <laughs> awesome. So listeners, hopefully you remember Jen from the last two episodes. We've decided that she has such excellent quality in speaking and overall ideas that she will be joining me as a co-host uh, permanently on One on One, unless stranger things happen. I haven't seen the show yet, <laughs> but still, that's on the bucket list of things to do. So um, anyway... We're going to jump right into kind of an overview. So a lot of the conversation is going to be about educational moments or nah. Uh, Sometimes you can have educational moments. Sometimes it's like, you know, maybe not the best option. Uh, So we'll talk about our first times getting in trouble. We'll talk a little bit about what it's like to make a mistake. Also, what happens, especially in student affairs, when we're trying to make sure that we're engaging students in a way that they are learning and having an outcome from the conversation. But that doesn't necessarily happen all the time. So what to do when that occurs. But I'm going to jump off with a new segment that I'm starting this week, and it's called The Best Thing I Saw This Week. So um, living in Flagstaff, there's a lot of things I get to see. There's a lot of variety of outdoor beauty. There's chances to interact with the university, and I see all sorts of things there happening from events to people to different just overall engagements that they're trying to do, as well as just working in housing. So uh, last night was my first time seeing the movie Shrek. Uh, if you haven't seen it, I would recommend, but the best thing I saw this week was Kim singing and dancing out to a Shrek song. So shout out to you, Kim. I thought it was really entertaining. The voice was spot on and as well as the dance moves. It made me laugh a little bit. Um, and that was for me, the best thing I saw this week. Jen, do you have anything that you can think of that you're like, wow, this is the best thing that I saw this week? I think the best thing I saw this week was the mock rock or lip sync competition. Uh, All the RAs really got into it, and I was pretty impressed by their choreography and how much work they actually put into it, especially only having a night and an hour or so to prepare before. So I think that that was really impressive. Um, And I was definitely, it was nice to see all of us as RHDs getting really proud of our. Uh, cohorts. Yeah, I agree. Was there a single choreography like move that you thought was the best? Oh, I don't know. I really liked cohort number two and Say My Name. I thought theirs was pretty creative um, and entertaining. So Fair enough. So Well, that's going to lead us into the next segment, and that's This Feels Right. And so again, that's that segment of the show where you look back at something you did that seemed like a good idea at the time, and it felt right to do. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But Speaking of the lip sync mock rock battle that we had, uh, I thought it'd be a good idea to MC. I was like, you know what? I haven't ever tried this before. I have a podcast. I think maybe my voice sounds okay. Uh, and so I signed up for it about hmm, maybe three weeks ago, I would say. And um, I started preparing, like making sure that I was on board with everything and that was happening with the timeline, making sure that I'm covering all the right information, what the order of the songs were going to be for the lip sync, checking in with the judges. It all felt right. I was like, awesome. I feel like I'm doing this. I think I made John laugh a couple of times. John is our director of housing and residence, like our associate director. I saw him smile and chuckle a few times. So I was like, "Mm, Tommy, you're doing it. This feels right. You're doing great. Uh, And then we got to the judging part. And I'll be honest, I messed up. I goofed. I I didn't do it correctly. Uh, I called the individuals up to the stage that were going to go for third place. Did that well. Awesome. Nailed it. Moved on. Second place... I, for some reason, wrote down the same number that I had called up previously to the stage, and I pulled a Steve Harvey, or a Moonlight, if you will, depending on what you like to watch, uh, and I messed it up, and I was like, you know what? My bad, y'all. There was a couple boos from the crowd, and I was like, hey, I get nervous, too. It's all good. But 
it's okay. There's a smooth recovery. I basically just told him, no worries. You're going to get to be second in line when you get to uh, go to the barbecue. But the more important part is I got the winner correct. And I feel like that could have been an even more like, oops, you done goofed moment uh, if it hadn't been second place instead. So for me, I still think it felt right. I feel like I got a lot of positive um, comments afterwards in terms of just the overall emceeing for the night. So that's something I think I would still do again. And hey, I have a chance to do it better. But for me, being an MC feels right. My mom even said maybe it should be a side gig. I don't know if I have time for that, but it could be fun. So <laughs> anything that felt right for you? Well, I was a judge in the lip-sync competition, and I thought that was pretty fun. Um, I didn't have as much pressure on me as Tommy did, so that was nice. But it did it felt nice <laughs> to be a judge and get to really watch all of the performances front row, so... Uh, so this segment is I Got a Story for You, um, and this week our ch- story theme is First Time in Trouble. Um, so for me, I didn't necessarily get in trouble with my parents very often. I was, like, never grounded, and I don't know if that was just something that they had a preference for. Um, but I, one thing I remember doing in, I think, fourth or fifth grade is we had to get our agendas signed every week so that we could, like... Our teacher would, like, write a note to our parents, and we'd have to get a sign. And I would forget all the time, so I would just forge my parents' signature all the time. And my dad was perfectly fine with it. Um, I got pretty good at his signature. Um, but then... <laughs> a small bragging moment. Yeah. <laughs> I used to, he used to let me sign his checks. Um, but my mom's is really a lot harder. And there was one week where I forged her signature, and I showed it to my teacher, and she's like your mom signed this. And I was like, yeah, she signed it. And she's like, so if I call her, she'll tell me that she saw this and signed it. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that my mom covered for me because I never got in trouble for it, but I'm almost positive that my teacher called her. Um, so thank you, mom, for not <laughs> selling me out. <laughs> Interesting. Do you think teachers actually always call to double check and see if that happens? I think that this was such an obvious forgery that she was like, I might actually call. (laughs) Yeah. I was just curious. I think sometimes, like, especially when, I know we always tell Ari's, like, if you're going to call the police, like, follow up and actually do it. So that way it doesn't, like, give mixed messages for residents. But I also wonder if other professions do that as well. So Yeah. Gotcha. Well, I'm going to paint the picture a little bit for you all. So I was in preschool. I was four, about to turn five, entering the threshold of kindergarten. But I had never seen what the other side of a toilet looked like. So I was on the bath. I was in the bathroom with my friend Taylor. Like we were both in preschool or whatever. Um, and for some reason, like you know how in a, a public restroom you go in, there's several stalls that you can choose which one you like the most, I guess, and like go ahead and sit down and do your thing. Um, at the time. I didn't know what was actually in the other stall because they just built like a new one because the bathroom, we had a lot more kids that were in preschool. And so him and I went into the bathroom to check it out. And so we climbed on top of the toilet seat and then on top of the actual like flusher area, I don't really know what it's called, um, to be able to just peer over into the other stall and see what was happening. Spoiler alert, it's just another toilet. It was not nearly as cool as I thought it was going to be. But our teacher walked in like right when that was happening and she got really scared, I think, because probably, like, a safety issue. Like, we're not that tall yet, so we were probably a good, like, five and a half, six feet off the ground. So if we fail, it would definitely be a problem. But the reason I distinctly remember it isn't really because of the toilet itself, 
But I remember getting home afterwards when we bought a new fridge, and this fridge had an ice maker machine in it. It was very exciting. You could do cubed or crushed. It was all the hype for me as a four-year-old kid. Um, I didn't get to use it. I just got spanked in front of it. <laughs> like I remember being like, wow, what a cool fridge. And then my parents got home, or my dad got home specifically, and my mom told him the story, and my dad was like, hmm, can't do that. Like we got to make sure. So I remember that time in particular. But that's one of the stories. The other story is my first time ever going to Florida, and I remember we went to Disney World. That was really cool. And I think I was just really tired afterwards because I was, like, complaining a lot, and I was whining. My parents were like, hey, this is supposed to be fun. Like, if you don't stop, you're going back in the car. Um, I don't think I stopped at all because I remember we got back in the car, and it was also the same day that there was a space shuttle that was launching from uh, Cape Canaveral, basically, and I was like, wow, this is so cool. But I had acted up earlier. Yeah. And so my dad was like, you know, you're just going to have to go in the hotel and uh, you're not going to get to see this one. Spoiler alert for you, Dad. I watched it from the window because uh, you all are downstairs and you didn't see me. So fun fact, I'm laying it out now. It's past like 20 years, so I think I'm okay. But I watched the space <laughs> shuttle take off in the privacy of my own room nice. uh, and watched it from the window. I don't know if it was as cool from the ground, but I thought it was really cool to see from what I could tell. Um, and I don't think I really ever got caught afterwards for that. So, or maybe my parents were just like, yeah, we knew, but we didn't do anything about it. So that is the two times I got in trouble and it made me really think about like, huh, I wonder what else is kind of difficult for parents to do. But speaking of which, this is going to move into the next segment, which is, hmm, I have thoughts about that. Uh, and that's that segment where it's kind of the opinion section. Jen and I are going to give our take and perspective on it. But I want to set the stage and give a little background first. And so basically what happened, um, we've had this retreat that we did, as Jen kind of alluded to, with the mock rock and the lip sync battle. Um, And we've been in RA or student staff training specifically uh, since Wednesday afternoon. And so um, during this time, we get a chance to interact with a lot of different students, a lot of different uh, staff from a variety of backgrounds. And in particular, there's a conversation where a student was providing the perspective on the trans and non-gender binary community, and specifically their perspective kind of being one where they didn't validate the experiences of the trans community. And so one of our staff members was trying to help navigate that conversation, trying to create an educational and teachable moment for it. Um, And it didn't necessarily end in the most positive ways. Like, right, there's this goal where it's going to be like, hey, I know that you have this perspective. Let me broaden it and try to help with a little bit of empathy building, a little bit of validating, a little bit of challenging. Um, that's not always like going to be the case. And so I guess firstly, without giving too much detail, what were your thoughts on how the situation was handled, Jen? So I was kind of super tired and I did fall asleep during this conversation at some points, but I was awake for most of it, and I think that a lot of us were tired, and that's obviously no excuse for not stepping in and saying something, especially when it's a colleague who is in student affairs with us and is working with us and working with the same students that we are. Um, So if I had done something differently, I probably would have been like, you know, those jokes aren't, like, I can understand that some people might think they're funny if they understand the satire of it, I guess. Kind of like when we talk about shows like South Park, um, And, like, I know that I sometimes think it's funny, but I understand that they are satiring people who believe those things genuinely, but people who believe those things genuinely don't always understand that they're kind of the audience that's being targeted as, like, the 
joke of like the butt of the joke kind of so they think the show is real and like that the showrunners really believe that stuff and obviously that like those jokes are still harmful because of that um and so kind of similar with the jokes that our colleague was making it's it can be a little frustrating to hear especially when we are working with those populations yeah i think uh so one of the things that well, first off, I want to give a shout out to Melinda. She's a grad that I got to work with at K-State. She's now at the University of Washington. Uh, but her and I did a presentation that was kind of really specifically addressing these microaggressions that happen, um, whether intentional or not. And so one of the things that we talked about is there's times where you have an opportunity to really like engage and try to have a teachable moment. Um, I know last week we talked about the ouch-oops approach, which is my personal favorite one to do. But also sometimes, like... You just have to shut down the conversation, and I think, in particular, so we, Jen kind of talked about the example with trying to approach how, like, if someone's making a joke, and then kind of that other situation where um, someone was talking about their viewpoint on the trans community and not necessarily being accepting or willing to hear out those experiences, and so... I think a couple things that are helpful is really trying to first start with, like, where are these people starting from? Like, why asking that question of, like, why do you think that's funny? Like, why is that your perspective? Um, And I think that's a really good way to challenge it. And not necessarily in a way that's like, oh, why do you believe that? And not necessarily in attacking me, but just genuinely asking, like, help me understand, like, where you're coming from. Because I don't know that I have the same viewpoint, but I also know that I don't quite understand why you think it's funny. Um, That's something I think that's really helpful especially if they're in a place where they feel comfortable and willing to engage in that conversation, because then it's going to be an educational moment for both of you in terms of, one, someone being a little bit more open to the language that they use and the way that they communicate, but two, it also helps you allow, um, not allow, but it helps you to be able to figure out what's the best way to communicate with students or another colleague that you have. Uh, But like I said, sometimes you just have to shut down the conversation. And kind of in the one that I gave specifically, that was one where... It was a clear group dynamic that was starting to become negative because that person was not willing to hear out anyone or any other perspective in that way. And so in a lot of ways, you got to figure out how to shut down the conversation. I think there's a couple ways to do it. I think the first one um, is trying to pause and just say, like, all right, this is starting to get a little out of control. We're starting to spiral a little bit. Can we try to reorient and start back from what, how did we originally get to this point? Um I think it's also really important to realize, like, hey, I want to protect the rights of all people. Like, I realize that these are your standpoints or these are your views. And while you can have those, I also want to make sure that other people that might be hearing this or affected are still able to have their rights protected, too. And so it's not one person necessarily dominating the conversation, saying, like, nope, you're younger or you're not as educated. Like, I'm just going to take over the conversation. So I think that's an important part is that it's a mutual rights. It's not just one person's rights over the other. Um, But I think also being able to stop it. So saying, like, you know what, Uh, I'm going to name, like, this is why this hurt me. Um, Hopefully they're willing to claim responsibility for it, but also they're willing to stop it. And so that's kind of an ideal way. If not, sometimes it's just saying this isn't a good time for us to continue the conversation. Let's try to revisit it another time or when we're in another headspace. But it's really important that regardless of how the conversation ends, whether positively or more negatively, that you still follow up and try to maintain the relationship because at the very least you're still going to be interacting with a lot of these student staff or these colleagues um, and wanting to make sure that that is being upheld in a way that you're like, okay, 
we can still work in other ways. And while we might not necessarily agree on this one particular issue, there's other ways that we can work together. And hopefully you can revisit that conversation in the future. So I think that's a, a brief part about how to engage in those challenging conversations. I think there's a lot more that can be added. Um, for those that are listening, if you have other thoughts or ideas that you found helpful, please let us know that. But I think that's kind of our overall take in terms of challenging conversations because I think we both have thoughts. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. All right, well, we are back. So it's time for the ridiculous and hilarious section. So as you know, Jen and I both work on a college campus, and uh, I would say we've seen some pretty ridiculous but also pretty hilarious <laughs> stuff, especially over the course of the last three days, I would say, with student staff training in particular. Uh, but mine actually falls outside of that realm. And so um, you know I have a dog. His name's Milo. He's cute most of the time. He's currently sleeping away the two-mile walk that we went on this morning, but he pooped on the carpet. That's right. I had to clean up poop inside my own home. Um, you know the worst part about it? He didn't even do it like in a common area. He went specifically to my bedroom and was like, you know what? This feels like a good place to drop a juice. <laughs> and I was like, what the heck, Milo? I was only gone for like six hours. I thought maybe because the first part of the retreat, that would be the time that he was going to use the bathroom because he went probably close to 12 hours without getting to go. Mm-hmm. But the second day of the retreat is when it actually happened because I accidentally left my bedroom door unlocked when I went back to like grab some clothes or whatever for the night and I walked him that morning I walked him right before lunch started and then at 4 30 I came back and walked into the apartment I looked around and I was like nice Milo I mean you destroyed all of the stuff that I had from the retreat but that's okay like we can work by that past that um and then I walked to my bedroom because I was like I'm gonna get into some comfy clothes And I couldn't because there were two large deuces on the ground. (laughs) And so I was like, dang it. I don't even know if I need to take you out right now. Because clearly you already went to the bathroom. So I don't have to worry about that. I still took him out anyway. But that was what I found ridiculous. I was like, you can hold it for 12 hours, but you couldn't hold it for the five hours. I don't understand your rationale. But that's what I thought was pretty ridiculous this week. (laughs) Huh. Something ridiculous. I feel like when we... Went to fill my car tires up was pretty ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so we went and my tire pressure light was on and it's still on. I don't know why because I just filled them up. But um, first of all, the card reader wouldn't work at first and then it started working, so that was good. But um, we had to run around. I felt like I was in like a NASCAR pit crew, <laughs> like a very slow NASCAR pit crew. <laughs> but um, just running around before our, like four minutes was up to fill up all the tires. That was crazy, but we did it. Yeah. We did it. So I was surprised by how long we had to actually do it. It felt way yeah. more rushed than it, that. Yeah, I feel sure. like with some practice, we could definitely join a pit crew. Yes, so NASCAR, if you're looking for two individuals or an intern, let us know. (laughs) We're here all year. So, well, we're going to move into the, so what does this mean exactly? And again, that's that segment that's specifically for the knowledge community of NASPA. Um, But basically, it's the segment where we're going to talk about things related specifically to student affairs, whether that's theories or counseling or just might be the experiences and how to navigate some of the situations. So 
This week we're talking student staff training and specifically building a staff team but also networking across communities and so um, some of the things that we're doing specifically at NAU is we had that staff retreat that Jen and I have kind of alluded to throughout the podcast so far and I would say overall there's some really positive feedback this year I think both in terms of the activities that we had but also just the overall flow of it while it might always feel like a little hectic especially behind the scenes trying to make sure that all the rooms are cleaned or that the keys are ready to go or that everybody's prepared for the presentations and the sessions that they're attending overall i think staff felt really good about it and i think one of the parts that was really cool is at the end when we did that mock rock um, people also stayed for a little bit afterwards just to have a dance party but also i think everybody likes to get down to the wobble so that could be that too Um, But I think a staff retreat is a really good idea. I know a lot of uh, different universities do a staff retreat for their senior staff specifically. This is the first time I've ever done one for a student staff that was the entire uh, staff, not just one individual hall or community. And I thought that was really cool. It was neat to see people engaging with other individuals that they might not see on a daily basis. So that's something I thought was cool. Um, John and Jimmy would be, not Jimmy John, just to clarify, but John, our director, and Jimmy, a grad that's here, um, would definitely be a fan of this one, and it's called Hashtag One Team. Uh, and that's really something that has been set forth really like last year, but kind of continuing on um, and getting staff to buy in and knowing that it's not one person's responsibility or it's not a, hey, not my building, not my problem, but really everyone's responsible as a collective community to make sure things are getting done. And so it's kind of getting that staff buy in. I thought that was something that was neat and also needed because I think a lot of times we don't always talk about the impact across communities. We often focus on just, hey, I got to take care of my own. So I like the one team mentality. The last part is we got a lot of time for in-haul. Full transparency, I think Jen and I at the beginning were like, this is a lot of time for us to try to (laughs) figure out what exactly we're doing. Uh, but I think it went really well over. I think especially like we got most of our business things done. I think really the main things we have left is just scheduling for the desk and duty. Um, but I think because we got a lot of that done, that left a lot of time for us to just be able to bond with the staff. And we had some formal activities, but we also just played catchphrase for probably a long time. We also played fishbowl or salad bowl, as I'm told it's called. Um, I like fishbowl better, but hey, that's my own opinion. Um, I think just some of those times where you get to bond with staff is something that we really appreciated because I know even throughout the retreat, we're like, you know, I haven't seen our staff in a minute. I kind of miss them. So I think that's something that's been really neat. But that's one of the parts that NAU, or not one, but those are some of the things NAU does specifically um, to help with building a staff and networking across communities. Yeah. Uh, So then we're going to look at general best practices, um, starting with how to increase group productivity. Uh, For me, I know that I really enjoy staff bonding and um, getting together with my staff outside in a less formal setting than just like staff meeting, Um, especially when at the beginning of the year when you're trying to build that staff relationship and get closer. Um, And that's definitely going to help later on in the year as you get to know each other better. But setting that base knowledge of each other and being comfortable with each other is really important. Also, just getting to know each individual staff member um, and getting to know what their strengths and weaknesses are. I know that we did a fear and goal-setting activity, so that was really interesting. I think that a lot of them have similar fears um, when it comes to the job of being an RA, and it was really helpful, um, I think, for them especially to hear returners talk about some of their best practices of what to do 
in those situations where you're not sure of how to handle it. Um, but also I think getting to know your individual staff member is important because it shows them that you care about them and that you want them to succeed in their role and that you're there for them. Um, going back to commonalities, I think that that can also lead to learning about differences within your group um, and it helps you to maybe address conflict later on because you can relate on your similarities um, and kind of always come back to that but also it helps to appreciate the differences. And then also continuing this throughout the year. I know that last time we talked about having diversity and inclusion conversations throughout the year and uh, how that's really important to continue that conversation. I think it's important to continue um, staff development and relationship building throughout the year because if you just show them that you're interested in getting to know them in the first few weeks and then you just stop talking to them, that's not going to really show them that you care. It's going to kind of give off the idea that, like, oh, that was part of their job. Now it's over. See you at staff meeting. And I don't think that would be helpful to them. They're probably not going to come to you with questions or concerns. So just making sure that you keep in contact with them and are able to talk to them about different things other than work is important. Yeah. I think kind of going off that too is that it helps reiterate that trust, but I think it also helps to create, if you have these priorities that you've established and at first, just in terms of the group productivity, it's also going to lead to a lot of that active participation. And so um, kind of going back to that one team that I just talked about, there's a shared common vision of what the hall is going to look like and what the expectations are. And so uh, for Jen and I, it was really coming down to just five things that we wanted them to focus on and that hopefully they decide to also reiterate with their students too. And so for us, we talked about, um, one, you're a student first, so we need you to really prioritize academics in the same way that we hope they can encourage their students to prioritize academics. We talked about making sure they take care of themselves as well as their residents, but if they can't take care of themselves, it's hard to feel a cup that's empty, right? And so um, prioritizing their own self-care is really important. That's one of the goals that we have because hopefully our students will do the same as well. We also talked about really trying to develop relationships with everyone, not just the ones that they're closest to. Um, again, trying to go back to those differences and realizing that there's ways to engage in difference that's going to be productive um, and you can have that as an educational moment. But the really the last part we talked about is being able to do it better. And that's something that my supervisor has always talked about from grad school, but it's something that I also try to reiterate too. Um, so for example, if I'm allowed to MC again, perhaps I won't mess up the judging, but hey, <laughs> that's an opportunity for me to do it better. So that's something I think that's really important is that creating a shared vision together, and that means involving the staff and creating that, um, is going to be a way to really get people to actively participate. The last part I would say also is that, yes, Jen and I are the supervisors of our staff, but that doesn't necessarily mean we should always be the ones that are leading the staff. Our staff already got hired because they are great leaders. We hope that they're going to lead their floor. And I think already, even just from our brief times that we spent either in in-hall or during the retreat, we've gotten to hear a lot of returners in particular speak up and say, these are some things that might be really helpful for us to consider. And so giving the staff an opportunity to um, display and use those strong leadership skills are really going to help to continue to get buy-in, but also have active participation in ways that people can really gain. Um, and that also takes some of the pressure off of you as a supervisor, always having to make the decisions. Yeah. Um, 
So looking at some past impacts and present, going back to returning staff, I think it's uh, important to know that they obviously have strong ideas and opinions of what they liked and disliked about last year's training and the year in general. Um, and that can sometimes be troubling and helpful at the same time. I know for the retreat, I had returners in my cohort, um, and I heard from other guys as well that they had some returners who were really, really against both the retreat and the lip sync battle. Um, and that definitely affected the mood of the new RAs, I think, because it didn't really hype them up at all. It kind of just made them feel like, oh, this is going to be two days of my week that are just going to suck. And I'm going to have to live with somebody who I don't know, which was the point of the retreat, because that's how <laughs> your residents will feel when they move in. Um, but <laughs> Accurate. Yeah. And that goes along with, like, new staff know what they've seen. Um, so as a resident, if your RA was really not in touch with you, didn't really care, then you're probably either becoming an RA because you want to do better for your residents or you're becoming an RA because you think it's going to be a very easy job and you'll just be the same as what your RA was, and it'll be okay. Um, so I think that that definitely impacts what happens during your year, and I think it's important to, like, shut that down in a way of just being like, this is a new year, we have changed some things with our training in general. Um, you might have a new supervisor that would be different, um, and just address that everything, not everything is going to be the same and that change happens a lot. So making sure that your staff knows that and making sure that somebody's negative attitude isn't going to affect your staff dynamic or the way that your returning and new staff is going to view training. Kind of the last ones that I think we also want to talk about is um, clearly like we got a lot of feedback from staff overall. And so that was a chance where there was just a discussion that was happening. Um, but it's also important that while we're discussing different things. We also have to make sure, like, RA being sensitive, because that's really key to receiving feedback in a way that's going to be positive. And so um, one of the things that we've been trying to do is saying, like, just checking and asking, like, are there things that we can do better? What are the things that you need from me? Um, those are all really helpful ones, I think, in that way. Uh, but also something that I had from one of my supervisors I have from K-State, his name is Nick, um, he told me to... When you're having decisions, you should really try to make them in four ways. And I think it's something that was really helpful. So the first one is sometimes the department is just going to ask you to do something. You don't necessarily get to cho choose how it's going to be done. And so communicating that to your staff and saying, this is a department expectation. This needs to be done. But then explaining the why behind it. The second one is that try, you should always try to get input from the staff. Um, and when you get that input... It might just be that you have to make the final decision. There's not necessarily one that you can make a group consensus for. The third one is that if you're on a really tight timeline, it might just be you making the decision for the staff, and they don't necessarily always get to have input. A good example is during summer, the staff isn't here for us to be able to decide what the community um, needs right at that moment, and so that's where we're kind of stepping in saying, okay, we're going to make the decision on what's going to be best for them. But the fourth one, and really the one that we strive to try to do a lot is giving the staff an opportunity to have input and also decide what the decision is going to be. Again, it gets back to that group buy-in, the shaping what the vision is going to be for the community and the overall culture that exists. But that's something I thought was also really helpful. So when you're having discussions, 
Uh, I think it's particularly as we get close to our Labor Day program that we're going to have, really finding out what do staff want to do and giving them a chance to decide how they want to do it because I think um, we could definitely say this is what it's going to be, but staff are more willing to engage if they already have ownership over the decision because they had that input to begin with. So um, those are some of the general best practices that we've come up with for building a staff team. Um, we didn't necessarily talk as much about networking across communities because we realize that's going to look really different at any institution. Um, but if you like the ideas when we first talked about NAU-specific things, that's something that can be definitely done. You can also always give any insight or input that you have. But we're going to move on to the next segment. So, Yeah, uh, so this one is called Real Talk. You're getting educated. Um, so... This one can be about social justice related issues, or sometimes it'll be more fun facts. Um, sometimes it's important stuff. Um, so this week, I think Tommy is going to start it off. Um, so I have two. Um, I guess that's kind of my trend for this podcast <laughs> lately, but hey, that's okay. Um, the first one is I found out a new app um, that's a pretty addicting game, I would say so, but I also have my limits, so... No worries, still balancing my health there. Um, but it's called 2048 Solitaire. If you remember the original 2048, or the OG, if you will, um, it's kind of that same concept, except it's in solitaire form. So you get two cards at a time. Um, those cards have the numbers that are a multiple of two. So it's going to be 2, 4, 8, 16. I guess not a multiple, but an exponential value of two. Um, and then you basically try to get to 2048 still, and I really like it. The first time, I didn't do that well. I got a score of, like, maybe 80,000. But the second time, see, doing it better, I got <laughs> 998,000. Wow. So I would say I feel like I improved a lot. I was a little bummed I didn't break a million. But, hey, there's still plenty of time for it. So that's my first one that I thought was more just a fun thing. Thank you, Madison, for showing me and introducing it to me. But more importantly, um, when we had the lip sync battle that was going on a lot of people were busting out some dance moves that one i didn't realize how many can do a body roll so if you ever need to learn students apparently just find your ra you'll be great um but more importantly i was like oh snap i didn't realize how much uh specifically one individual's dance move have influence all across the u.s and so his name is james baker have you ever heard of him no uh well, what if i told you his name is block boy jb I mean, I've heard the songs that these dance moves have been in, but I a lot of times I don't really pay attention to the artist's name. <laughs> gotcha. That's fair. Well, so James Baker, he is from Detroit. He's the one that has come up with a lot of uh, really popular dance moves, especially over the last two years. Um, if you ever heard the song Shoot, or if you can envision yourself kicking your right foot out, go ahead and just mimic that, listeners, so you can kind of get a feel. And as your right foot extends, go ahead and extend that right arm at the same time. Uh, and that is called the shoot dance. Um, you can also do it with both hands, not just one. So feel free to figure out how you want to do that. He also has Wind It Up and Rover. But I thought it was interesting because so many individuals from our staffs were doing that during the um, lip sync battle. And I was like, wow, what a person. He doesn't even know that all of this is being recorded, but <laughs> your artistic dance moves have been replicated all across MAU. So congrats to you, James Baker, a.k.a. Blackboy JB. But that's my real talk. You're getting educated. So if you're ever looking for dance moves, he's someone that you might want to hit up on YouTube because he has a lot of the really popular ones right now. Also, as a side note, he's known for the Harlem Shake, if you didn't know that, Oh, too. really? Yeah. Okay. Tell your friends. Gotcha. Okay. 
Uh, so my edu- educational moment comes from the retreats. Um, I presented in a session about our values as a housing and residence life. Um, and I just found it really interesting hearing what everyone was saying. And one of our values is learning. Um, and a lot of our uh, RAs were saying how you should always be willing to learn. And I think for me, I always have the motto of like always being a student, even if I'm not in the classroom, because there's always an educational moment around and you can always learn from somebody. So it was really nice to hear that and know that like other people are also abiding by that theory. Um, but also just a lot of them had really good points and really awesome things that they said in our session. And I think that they just learned from each other in that session. It was really nice to see what everyone was saying. Well, we're going to move into kind of our last final segments of the show, and that's Mother Teresa. So, um, also, I did just call her like maybe four hours ago because <laughs> I realized, oh, wow, I haven't talked to my mom at all since yeah. last week because training has been fairly intense in that way. But per the usual, she always had the perfect advice to say. If you had to guess based on a conversation, what do you think it might have been around? Oh, the ellipsing uh, <laughs> judging. Absolutely. And so uh, my mom's advice for this week was mistakes are okay. If you had done it perfectly, you wouldn't be able to leave any room for improvement. And that makes it hard to learn from. And so I thought that was really applicable. I think especially in my head as I was standing up there, I didn't say it out loud. Um, but when I got those couple of boos in my head, I wanted to say, boy, I hope when you miss, your residents make a mistake, like, you don't also boo them. Like, this. Yeah. can you imagine the impact? Like, I know. I think uh, they were just so, so enthralled with the lip sync. I know, especially because, <laughs> like, I feel like I had done it, might I say, pretty perfectly yeah. up until that point. And, uh, well, it just shows that I'm also human. But I really liked that because I think, um, I don't know, I think it's hard to top. Like, I don't think anyone can ever reach perfection. But even when you start to get really close it starts for, I think it becomes more difficult for people to be able to relate to you because one, it either becomes a comparison or two, I think they feel um, like, well, gosh, like you don't have this experience. Like you don't know what it's like for to struggle or go through whatever it is. Um, and so that's something I also really appreciate. So Steve Harvey, if you ever happen to listen to this, I can now personally relate <laughs> to what you went through. Yeah. And so I just thought it was timely and I liked that a lot. Uh, Well, and kind of the last segment of the show is rough translation. So that's every week where we're going to end the show with a song that describes how we're feeling, sometimes accurately, sometimes sarcastically. Um, But as we found out from the last podcast, Jen's got some pretty good taste in music, too. And so as a co-host, she's going to also get to share what her uh, song of the week is for rough translation. But mine is Look Alive by Blockboy JB featuring Drake. One, because we already talked about it in the show, but two... It was actually stuck in my head all week long, and I don't really know why. But if you haven't heard it, you should look it up on YouTube and or Spotify. It'll also be added to the playlist of one-on-one rough translation. You can find it there. Um, But that's the one that I was like, you know what? I look alive. I don't feel alive (laughs) right now. Like, I was pretty tired after the retreat. So um, I felt it was a timely song in that way. Yeah. Um, Mine is just a song that I've been listening to a lot lately. And it's called Allie by Patrick Stump, who is the lead singer of Fall Out Boy, but this is from his solo album from when they went on hiatus in 2008. Oh. Um, so his solo album is called Soul Punk, and it's pretty good. He has a really great voice, and it's definitely a lot different from what the band does. So, yeah, that's one of my favorite songs off the album. Uh, but, yeah, it's really good. 
Well, again, thanks for listening. If you have a song of the week, feel free to share it with us. If you want to share the podcast as well, we're always welcome to that. Um, if you also have any comments that you want to leave, whether that was talking specifically about best practices for student engagement and staff bonding, or if it was talking about your opinions on how to have challenging conversations, we'd love to hear your thoughts and suggestions too. Um, no special shout out because Jen's going to be here pretty much permanently. So tune in next week for both of us. And as always, make good choices. Yeah.